Well, good morning, friends. Good to be back with you again. In case we haven't met yet, my name is Chuck Legvold, and I'm a retired pasto, pasto, a pasto. See, Nate has trouble playing and talking. I have trouble preaching and talking. So, <laughs> I am a retired pastor in the Presbytery of the Harvest here in Ego, which uh, uh, this congregation is a part. And uh, my wife Bonnie and I are here from Aurora. Again, glad to be with you and look forward to sharing God's Word with you. But would, uh, before we approach God's Word, we need to prepare ourselves. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, like everyone here, I need to be prepared and open and submitted to the work of your Spirit not just in the preparation of what I'm going to share today, but in the preaching and the understanding and then the application. We pray, O Lord, that as we gather around your word, that you will remove distractions from our lives, and there are plenty out in the world and within the midst of our own minds and hearts. There are so many things that would keep us away from hearing your voice. So remove them, we pray, and focus us closely, carefully, and eternally on your desire, your love, and your word. We ask this in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. My message today is coming to you from uh, the uh, New Testament letter of Paul to Timothy, the second one, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is a, uh, a key uh, chapter in my own spiritual journey. Uh, part of which I'm going to preach about today uh, as, as the message. The other part of which is uh, my ministry. In fact, my life verse, my life verse for ministry is later on in the chapter. If you don't know about Paul and Timothy, Timothy was Paul's protege and uh, Paul's trainee in, in serving a church. He was a young pastor, and so the two letters that bear Timothy's name are letters that not only instruct us, but they certainly instructed Timothy about how to be a, a more conscientious follower of Jesus and how to be a more powerful pra- pastor and teacher of the word. And my, my life verse, just in case you, you want to know what that is, is later on in the, in the chapter, and it is um, <clears throat> ragweed. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm just having one of those, ki- one of those kinds of, of, uh, of days. So I'll, I'll share that with you a little, in a little bit here once I get my, <clears throat> I need a cough button on this thing. I apologize. So let's go ahead and approach the reading of God's Word. The first five verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. This is God's word for us this morning. May his Holy Spirit speak to us clearly that we might know his will and his way 
in these and all things. Amen. The translator of the message, author, pastor, I'm glad to have said to my friend Eugene Peterson, translated this particular verse or the key verse of this passage. In fact, it is a summary verse of, these, of, of all of these five verses, is that this is a generation that was, and I would say, and he would too, uh, if he were still, still with us, that this is a generation which is addicted to lust in all of its forms. Addicted to lust, but allergic to God. Addicted to lust, but allergic to God. Let that uh, poke anybody here? It pokes me. Pokes me rather violently. Because there was a time in my life, albeit in my young life, when in spite of all the great appearances, I was everything that Paul was talking about here. I came to faith in Christ, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that as I go through the sermon, at the age of 15 in January of 1974, as a sophomore in high school. I had known about Jesus from the day that I was born. I was born into the church. My first Sunday out of my mother's womb was in church. I was baptized three months later when I was held in the, the, the arms of the, the pastor, Pastor Wilson of First Presbyterian Church of Perry, Iowa. And when he reached into the water to baptize me and his hand approached me saying the words, sharing the, the formula of the Trinity, I started to laugh because I, he, I thought he was playing getcha with me. That's what my parents told me. I laughed three times. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But I grew up in church and I went to Sunday school and I did all those things. I knew my back, Bible backwards and forwards. I came to the time of, of um, confirmation. And both my father and my oldest brother were on the session at the time. They were part of the people that examined me and I knew my stuff. From the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith, I knew it all. I had it all right here. I had it all right here. Especially right here. Because I was good at remembering stuff like that. Mathematics? No. Foreign languages? No. But I could memorize that kind of stuff. The concepts, the history, the, the ideas. I could get. And so I became a, a confirmed mem and baptized member of my home church in Oskaloosa, Iowa by that time. A young man, a young teenager, an adolescent, turning 15 years old and proceeding on from that. And yet, in spite of all the advantages I had of a godly heritage and a godly parentage, and good, solid Christian people around me and pastors that cared for me and Sunday school teachers that nurtured me. I was, as Eugene Peterson said, as a young man, addicted to lust and allergic to God. Wasn't that I wasn't around? 
It wasn't that I didn't know my stuff. It's that all of that form, as Paul talks about it, all of the form of looking good and knowing all the right words and having the right reputation and being guarded by the right people, all of that form was was there, but there was no power. There was no reality. I did not know the Jesus that I professed. I was as lost as anyone. Even though I grew up in the church. Even though I was a member of the church. Addicted to lust. But allergic to God. Now you might think, and I'm sure if my parents were still around, they would look at me and the people that grew up with me would look at me and say, oh no, no, that was not you. You were not treacherous. You were not a lover of yourself. You were not boastful or proud or abusive or certainly you were not disobedient to your parents. Well, guess again. I may have been on the outside. I may have been in form, but on the inside, I was disobedient. I was treacherous. I loved myself. I wanted things that I should not have. I wanted things that God did not want me to have. And thank his, thank, thankful for his grace, I never got them. I was without self-control. I was unforgiving. I was devious. And it didn't matter whether I was a little bit devious or a lot devious. I found myself having a form of godliness, but no power, no reality, no real life. Addicted to lust, the me first attitude, but allergic to God, maybe just mildly allergic, but enough that I kept him at arm's length as if I actually knew who he really was at that time. And that's where many of us find ourselves in our lives. It's maybe where you find yourself in your life right now. One of the things that we as, 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 as professed followers of Jesus need to regularly do is have a, is have a good uh, time of, of self-examination opening ourselves to the Word and to the Spirit and, and to the observation, the discernment of people that love and care for us, people that we trust. And there are still areas in my life where I, I still struggle with these kinds of things. But the fact is, I was there at that time and you may be there too. You may be a member of the church. You may be a, a leader of the church but you may be where I was. You see, living apart from Christ, regardless of your age, regardless of your situation, is all about idolatry. There are only two real idols in the world. There are only two real gods in the world. Let me put it that way. There is the one true God, capital G, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who emanates, who sends the Holy Spirit to us, who has sent his son to us to save us. And then there's the little G God that is the person that looks at us in the mirror every morning. The one we want to serve. 
Because we all want to have things our way, don't we? Isn't that our natural inclination? I want things my way. We all commit idolatry every day. We put things in front of God. We have, a, we have issues with that. And let me tell you what, an idol is not necessarily something that someone has carved or formed and put upon a mantle place. An idol is anything where, that, to which we falsely direct our love. That's what an idol is. Whether it's a, whether it's a football team or our alma mater or whether it's our, our children or whether it's ourselves. We all commit this idolatry. We all have this wonderful form of looking good, but not being truly good or good enough. If we are pursuing in any way a me-first sort of attitude, this is what is being described in this passage. This is what Paul is describing people as. And by the way, do you know, do you understand who Paul is talking about here? Remember, to whom Paul is writing, Timothy. Remember who Timothy is. He's a pastor. And remember who he is writing to Timothy about. He's writing about people in and around his church. Not everybody who comes to the door of a church is saved. Not everybody on the roll of the church is saved. Many are not. I was on the roll of the church for years before I was saved. They make a show, we made, I made a show of religion. I looked good to everyone. My grandmother, Grandma Cortner, was so impressed. And yet, here I was, apart from God, sitting in the pew of his church, partaking of the elements of his table, and yet, not knowing him. And Paul calls these things terrible times. They're terrible times in every generation, by the way. Every generation of human beings could say the same things about themselves if they are honest with themselves. And every generation seems to have a, a way of looking at things as, you know, my generation was either the best or the worst. But every generation has this issue. We think that loving God and serving God and moving forward in our life with God is all about our appearances, what's on the outside, what people observe us to be doing, when in fact what God is really interested in is integrity. Integrity is a big word and it's an important word and it's a word that we all need to know and it's a word we need to practice. Integrity simply means that we are on the inside what we are on the outside and vice versa. Are you on the outside what you are truly on the inside and vice versa? I wasn't. I wanted my way, not God's way, when I, was, when I turned 15 years old. I wanted to do things my way, not my parents' way. I thought I had the world by the tail. Imagine that, 15. And I thought I knew everything. It's amazing how, how, how smart your parents become between the time you're 15 and 25. But right then, I thought I knew it all. 
that I had everything I need needed, but I did not, because I did not have Jesus. And this is something, my friends, that happens with every generation. It's not just my generation, it's yours too. That's why it's important in the life of a church to make absolutely certain that we are training our children in the Jesus way, not just entertaining them. That we are giving them a foundation from which to build and calling them to and training them in discipleship, not just giving them games to play. You can do all of that, but it's vital that we remember that we are here as a church not just to fill our roles. We are not here just to have names on our, mem- on our membership sheets and our membership books. We are here to make disciples who will then make disciples who will then make disciples of Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? Are we doing it as individuals with our children and with our friends and with our parents and our, and our, and our classmates? Are we doing that as a church with our congregation and our community? We must be careful to do it because no one comes in by the coat strings. No one skates in because of someone else or what someone else has done. I have talked to many, many people in my years as a pastor as they near death, and and many of them are very close to Jesus. They know him well, and so they are fearless about death, and they are looking forward to knowing Jesus. But I have also known very, very many people who have been on the rolls in churches and who have been, been people who have been in leadership positions in those churches and teachers in those churches who had no real faith. And that's a sadness. I know this because I have personal experience with it. Not only people who were part of the congregations I served, but a year ago, in two days, my oldest brother, who was on the session of the church, when I became a member of that church and yet not a Christian died from lung cancer a year ago and I'm not sure he sees Jesus I never saw the evidence of it he had the form he had all the right words he he could, could master all the arguments And he could tell me where I could go, and he did, even down to the last weeks of his life. So we have to be sure about these things. It's one of the reasons I think Paul is talking to Timothy about that and why God wanted me to share this with you today. As you move forward as a church, as you look toward the future, this has to be where you are. This is what the church has to be. It is there to make disciples for in every generation. And that's why we see so many churches and so many denominations dying because they got a hold of the wrong information. They have made a show out of their religion, but they have no saving faith left. And that's why so many of those old mainline denominations are dying. It's because their people are dying without Jesus. 
Don't let that happen here at Northminster. And the problem we have, my friends, is, is like this. We, we tend to want to encourage people and pat them on the back rather than confront them with, with what is the truth. And in so doing, we sort of baptize things, particularly if we're part of a church family. We pat people on the back, say, oh, it's okay. You can, you can believe that. Maybe you'll get it later. You can believe that for now, but then those beliefs persist. Those practices persist. Rather than being confronted by them and putting an end to them where they, where they need to be, they, they are left to grow into something great. And so real truth is not taught. And when real truth is not taught when we are young, real truth is not tolerated when we are older. And that's why we have a, a problem these days. But that's where I was. I was all of this that I've warned you about, that I've talked about, that Timothy learned about from Paul. But one day, something happened in my life in my relationship with God, put me into a relationship with God that I can explain only as the witness, the most powerful witness of all, and that is the witness of a changed life. When I was in junior high school, which in my town was grades seven to nine, there was a guy ahead of me in youth group, two years ahead of me, his name was Dave Becker. Dave was this tall, gangly kind of guy, and he was kind of a fun guy, and his parents were very well known in our church, in our community. In fact, his, his father was well known in our church because he carried butterscotch discs in his pocket, and he would hand them out to people going down the aisle to get to his pew to sit on Sunday morning. That's why everybody hung around the middle aisle at First Presbyterian Church in Oskaloosa, or stopped Charlie Becker before he left the narthex, because you could get a butterscotch disc from Charlie Becker. And he was a wonderful man. His, his scholarship fund that, that, that he left behind him when he died helped put me through seminary. But his son Dave, his youngest child, was kind of wild. Even in ninth grade when I was a seventh. In fact, he was one of the crudest people I've ever known in the course of my life there, before then and since. He would come to youth group and delight in shocking the youth director by telling some of the raunchiest jokes that you would ever see within earshot. Now, we all thought they were funny then. Some of them may still be a little bit funny, but Dave Becker, I can tell you, would be embarrassed to tell them now. Because somewhere between the intervening years between the time that I was in seventh and he was in ninth, and we reunited on a regular basis when I was in 10th grade, which is senior high in my community, and he was in 12th when he was a senior, something happened to Dave. He was changed. He wasn't using a straw to spit spitballs at the other members of the junior high youth group up in the front of the church. He was listening to the pastor preach sermons. He was even uttering an occasional amen in a Presbyterian church. Dave Becker had had a relationship, had come into a relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And I remember seeing the difference in him and taking him aside after a few weeks in youth group and saying, Dave, what's wrong with you? I was expecting some more good, dirty jokes. And he told me all about it. 
And we had a good sit-down conversation, and I didn't come to faith in Jesus then, but a few months later I did, sitting in my bedroom in the upstairs of our house in 606 A Avenue East, and I surrendered my life to Christ on a cold January night, sitting by the radiator to keep warm. And my life has not been the same since. Then things not only began to make sense about what I had learned, but then I began to be a person of integrity. The inside of me began to influence the outside of me and came into equality with it. I no longer just had a form of godliness. I suddenly understood its power. And I've been living in that power and living with that power ever since, since 1975. And it was the witness of a changed life that changed me. I'm thankful that, that, uh, that Dave was there for me. Dave left the Presbyterian Church, became a Nazarene pastor, and just recently retired. Uh, as a direct, as a, uh, the, his last job was a director of a Nazarene camp up in Michigan, and he retired to just outside of Kankakee, where he and his wife bought an old dilapidated farmhouse that they are spending their upper 60s uh, now renovating. I've told Dave, please don't call me. I've got enough problems with my own house. You know, trying to deal with that kind of stuff. But I thank him every time I see him and talk to him, and I thank God every time. The only reason why Dave was in my life, and the only reason why he was there, the only reason why he was such a negative influence on me earlier and became such a positive influence on me later is because of this. God's overwhelming, amazing grace. And we sang about that earlier. The grace of God that looks past our falsehoods, the grace of God that looks past our, our futilities, the grace of God that looks past our pretending, truly is amazing. Because you see, God didn't save me because he looked into the future and said, here's a guy that's going to be a real good preacher, or maybe a mediocre one, you know, whatever. That's not why God saved me. He didn't look into the future and say, I, I, I've, got to save, I've, got to save a, I've got to have a guy that, that can, can marry Bonnie. Because she'll have to keep me in line. That's not why he saved me. He saved me because he loved me. He saved me because I needed to be saved. And that's where he put all of those elements, all of the learning, all of the Sunday school, all of the awards, all of the accolades, all of the recognition, and all of the emptiness. That's why he put it all together in one place at one cataclysmic time where then he spoke through a tall, gangly, saved man. And my life was changed forever. That tells you about the faithfulness of God, which we also sang about this morning. He stayed after me. 
He talked to me many times in the course of my young life, but he never let up even though I was ignoring him and living my own way. God's amazing grace came to save me. And I wanted to share that with you this morning because I, I fear, I have feared as a pastor for, for 40 years that the churches that I have served and I have, have had the, always this nagging feeling that so many of the people in the church, churches that I served were there out of form or out of duty or out of tradition rather than out of gratitude and love for Jesus. And I still fear that everywhere I go. I don't know that that's true of any of you, but if it is, hear me today. There's something more than just doing the duties and checking the things off the checklists and having the recognition and serving in the offices. There is Jesus and there is life, there is power and there is eternity. And God help me if I did not tell you that. Because the only way that you are only going to enjoy a life, a powerful, strong, purposeful life from here on out, on into eternity. And the only way you as a congregation are going to move forward and to grow and to become everything that God has dreamed for you to be is if you always call people to faith in Christ. if you always disciple them into their their future, into their own ministries, if you always hold them accountable, and if you always hold them close to Jesus through prayer and through worship and through teaching. I don't want anyone to come to 15 years old or any age in this church or any other church where they had all the form but none of the power, where they were addicted to themselves, to their own desires, and allergic to God. If you're that way this morning, I want to pray with you this morning. Don't leave before you come up and talk to me. And if you have seen the light, if you have been saved, if Jesus has entered your life, if you're no longer just about the things that you do or the reputation that you have, but you are about who Jesus is and what he wants you to do with your life and with your family and with your church, then hallelujah. Now pass it on like Dave Becker passed it on to me. And don't stop until someone listens You can't save them. But you can plant the seed that will come to faith. Can I tell you that I love you guys? You're a wonderful congregation. Was that an affirmation somewhere? (laughs) What was that? Or was that a tone to tell me to shut up? I do. I love you in Jesus. I'm getting to know more and more of you and learning to love you too. And I've been praying for you. And the tone of my prayers is now sort of shifting away from the discomfort of of having your pastors leaving 
to the discomfort of discovering a bright and glorious future that is ahead of you. Okay? That's how I'm praying. It's there. It's waiting for you. Don't leave it behind. Can I pray for you this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, people like Avira Brostrom and Cal Wise that taught me faithfully about you. And I thank you for pastors that baptized me and taught me in confirmation class. And I thank you for elders that were faithful to hold me accountable to my faith. And I thank you for the Dave Beckers that I've had in my life, but particularly him who uh, sat down in the corner of a Sunday school classroom all those years ago and said, Chuck, there's more to life than just church. There's more than to Jesus than just church. Church is included, but there's more to it. You can have an intimate relationship with God. You can make it personal, think that you, thing that you have, and you can become a new creation in Christ and live out His best for you. Thank you for those things. And now I pray that each and every person in this congregation and who is listening online has that kind of person, those kind of people in their lives too, that they will be used of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation and hope and joy to our lives. Set us free to be that person for others. And as we do, may we glorify you and bring praise to your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen.